I don't believe I will ever be a finished article of anything, a professional person, a mother, any of that stuff. You know, I'm always learning and that is absolutely fine. So have that belief that you can understand what your value is and don't think that you need to tick all the conventional boxes in terms of, you know, your education, whether you've got a degree, what your results were, what school you went to, you know, whether you've done an MBA or taken a postgrad or, or whatever those things are. This is The Talent Show, a new podcast series from FT Talent, a hub of innovation from the Financial Times. It's hosted by under-30s for the under-30s around the world. This second series is about all the aspects the FT organization is covering today, from editorial to development, from data to talent. I am Virginia Stagni, and this is a guide we designed to inspire you to be the one driving innovation and change. Welcome to the show. London Financial Times podcast studio. And today I have um, a very, very interesting person at our mics because she has been really exploring uh, different departments and ways at the Financial Times, but is also our point of reference when it comes to yoga, meditation and mental health at the Financial Times. And I'm really pleased to have Isabel Campbell with us. She's the Vice President of Portfolio in the Product and Technology Department here at the Financial Times. She has a background as well in finance and she'll tell us all about this amazing career path at the Financial Times. How long have you been here, Izzy? Well, I have been here for 14 years this year. I can hardly believe it, but yeah. What did you study before joining the FT? So I actually did English literature at university. So it was a surprise to everybody when I decided to go and become an accountant. So I went into one of the big four professional services firms. And why did I do that? Well, I wanted to move to London. I heard the salary was all right. And that is honestly the reason why I, I went into finance. I knew that I wanted to study more as well. So it was kind of a toss up between law and finance and, and studying accountancy was a way of getting paid to study, whereas with law, I would have had to have stuck on at university for another couple of years. And frankly, I just couldn't really afford to do that. So I, I ended up in finance. What does it mean doing uh, an accountant job at the Financial Times? So when I moved into finance at the FT, I was in what I would call a traditional accountant role, which is what we might call in the industry, you might see it as a job description as a financial accountant. So it was all about looking at the results of the business. So, you know, how we'd performed in a month, how we'd performed in a quarter, in a year, recording those results, reporting them. At the time, we were owned by a listed parent company. So there was, you know, lots of things we had to do for that. It was quite what I would call technical. So needing to know your accounting standards, your accounting rules and making sure that we're reporting in the right way. The work didn't necessarily inspire or delight me, but the environment did. And I managed to find my path and find my way through that route. Fairly recently, you changed very um, courageously, I must say, uh, your career path because you moved from finance to the product and uh, tech department as a VP of portfolio of the portfolio. So um, first of all, why PNT? Why this career move? And uh, what makes you excited about the, this new role? Mm, yeah, again, not something I would have ever imagined would happen. So because I had those networks and those relationships, I had a good, you know, working relationship with 
with our CPTO who heads up our, our department in PT. And we I actually business partnered him. So where I came into the FT as um, as I said, a more traditional accountant type role, I've moved around within finance and moved into a commercial finance role a good few years ago, probably seven years ago now. And as part of that role, I business partnered uh, the products and technology department. So I was there, you know, their, their point of support from a finance perspective. So helping them to understand their numbers, you know, their investments, things like that. So I was getting quite close to products and technology already. It's a very fast moving, exciting space to be in um, for one thing. And actually, I always thought that finance was quite fast paced. But actually, <laughs> having made that move, I, it, I mean, it's just not comparable at all. Someone said to me yesterday, you know, in P&T, things are never done. You know, in finance, it might be very hard to get there. And, you know, and we have those deadlines and those cycles, but your year end is done when it's done and you have to have it done. Your month end, your forecasting process, you know, all these processes that we go through in finance to understand our numbers, you know, they do get to done. There's usually something else immediately that comes up next and there's curveballs all the time, of course, and people are asking for things and things are changing. But in products and tech, it sort of feels like nothing is done. And that's exciting because we're developing new things. You know, technology is changing all the time. You know, we're running, you know, our website has, you know, so much that sits behind it that is actually quite hard to understand. You know, our website, our apps, all, all our different products. And these things are changing and moving all the time. And the demands from editorial, from commercial, from the outside world are just constantly in flux and you know my role is a lot about how we as a product and technology department deliver what we want to deliver so you know we have product as a discipline and technology as a discipline and they are looking at you know the why and the what and my discipline in portfolio is looking at how to how do we deliver that when the opportunity came up I was really keen to go and work for for my my now boss and and that team I was really keen to be a part of that department I really liked what I saw you know as a kind of subculture within the great culture of the FT here at FT you offer some yoga classes as well and the meditation classes you have been helping us quite a lot throughout COVID and this has been a fantastic Um, thing I believe to see that um, uh, an employee was as well seen and I, in a certain sense like recognized as uh, uh, someone that could help and inspire others um, in um, being closer in a, in a difficult moment and building a, another community of yogis. Um, what pushed you to enter in the yoga space? I've always practiced yoga, you know, from sort of late teens, but I didn't really embrace or understand the power of the spiritual side of it. For me, it was more like exercise, you know, getting my body strong, that kind of stuff. Um, and I guess as I went a bit further into that, that journey of, you know, self-awareness and things like that, I really started to understand the, the spiritual side of it and the impact of it. So all of that mindfulness, that kind of, you know, embracing the present moment etc and I've become quite spiritual actually I think over the last 10 plus years so, so I've always been one to push myself to learn to do more and I'd done the um the non-exec director diploma which yeah. the FT offers so I'd done that course and I had an idea that I wanted to do an MBA I don't really know why but I just thought oh well I want to do something else what's next what's next and I thought actually do you know what I'm not going to do an MBA I'm going to do my yoga teacher training And that was a kind of, you know, what I decided to invest my money in um, and my time, of course. And so I did my yoga teacher training over a year and I qualified. And when I went into it, I thought I'm just doing this to enhance my practice, to, you know, build more awareness and understand the philosophy and, you know, the Sanskrit language and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. 
but I found that I loved to teach. Mm. So I loved to use my voice and to teach people and, you know, support people in that way. And so I started to think, well, how can I, what can I do? And of course I could have, you know, gone down to my local gym or, you know, hired a space or figured out a way of teaching in a studio. But actually I thought, I mean, A, you know, I'm a pretty busy person anyway, so it makes sense for me to be able to drop drop some classes into my place of work anyway. And B, I have a ready-made, you know, audience of people that are keen. And so we started to teach, but that was just before COVID, uh, of course. So that did need to go on pause for a while and we found offerings online and, you know, and things like that. And now we're back. In fact, I've only only this year started to teach back again in person. So we've been back in, in our little studio here yeah. um, at Bracken House for the last six months. Um, and it's just, it's my real pleasure and passion to be able to take that time and that space with people. And uh, uh, what have you built uh, thanks to these trainings in terms of uh, community and uh, people here at FT? Did you meet new new people and what is their approach to mental health? I've met lots of different people from lots of different departments. We have a real community of yogis, so we have a setup of... There's a lot of people on the email list and in our little Slack group as well. Of course, not everyone manages to make it to class, but you know we have that real little community and people share. And especially during lockdown, we were doing midweek meditation, so I would do a weekly live stream of 10 minutes and we would just meditate together and we had this little community coming together and that was really lovely. And I think what I've learned from other people is that they, you know, lots of people similar to me are either passionate about yoga or just want to take the space in their day you know we're teaching at lunchtimes now we used to teach in the mornings lunchtimes is harder it's harder for people to stop what they're doing to come away from their desk to come and get changed and come to the mat but people really feel strongly about the need to do that to take care of themselves in that way um can you describe a bit more what does it mean to be a vp or the portfolio of different products that we have. Did you have any shadowing, inductions, besides, of course, you were the business partner, so um, to really understand a bit more the world of product and tech that made you so passionate about it? I really just jumped feet first into the deep end, and my boss and I knew that that's what we were doing, and we decided we were going to jump in together and, and believe that we would make a success of it. So we are still very much in that phase of forming the team and you know figuring out our boundaries and how we're going to work together. So we have a, a, a chief product officer, we have a chief technology officer, a chief data officer, and we have a VP of cyber, and together with them and myself, we form the, the leadership team of product and tech. So Product and tech is 600 strong. We have, you know, all these engineers and product people and data people working to create what the customer sees, right? To get the actual physical newspaper out the door, to have the website, the app, all our different titles, um, everything that you see there, as well as keeping us running, keeping us secure, making sure all the staff have got laptops, that the Wi-Fi works. You know, all of that stuff is encompassed in, in our department. And yes, as I say, my team is about the how. So how do we do that? How do we fund it? how we use our headcount, the investment that's available to us, how we optimally run teams and are able to deliver those those products uh, that I mentioned and, and to do all the things that the department is responsible for. So my role is very much enabling, I would say. So working alongside that CPO, CTO and CDO that I mentioned, the product tech and data yeah. who have their responsibility for, for their domains. Yeah. My responsibility is to lead the team that enables and, and facilitates, yeah. What is your best piece of advice for a younger person that is not so sure about uh, what to pick as a first career move? They might have an interesting uh, place to work in mind, but they don't really know how to get that 
foot in the door. What would be your approach? Can I have two pieces of advice, please? Of course, <laughs> even free. <laughs> so my first one would be around self-belief that you can and you will and, you know, not being guided by fear. So if I had have let that overwhelm me, I would never have applied for the job that I currently have because I would have read the job description and thought, well, I don't know how to do 75% of that. And I think we, you know, there is a real common theme there where people think they have to be the finished article. I don't believe I will ever be a finished article of anything, a professional person, a mother, any of that stuff. You know, I'm always learning and that is absolutely fine. So have that belief that you can understand what your value is and don't think that you need to tick all the conventional boxes in terms of, you know, your education, whether you've got a degree, what your results were, what school you went to, you know, whether you've done an MBA or taken a postgrad or, or whatever those things are, um, you know, think a bit more broadly and have belief in, in the qualities that you have. So that would be my first thing. And then my second thing, which is related, is don't imagine that you need to have the answers. I was away last week on a on a course and it was a residential course and I met some some new friends and one of them said to me, you know, what's next? What 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 comes next in the next sort of two years, five years? And probably for the first time in my life, I was very comfortable to say, I've no idea and that's fine. You know, and early on, I was very much, okay, get the degree, do the postgrad, pass the exams, then you'll become this, then you'll become this, you know, what's next? What's what's what comes down the track on the career path? And if I'd have maintained that rigidity, I would never have had the opportunity to do all of the different things that I have. And, you know, who says you can't be a professional person in a leadership role, but also teach yoga, but also work as an executive coach, but also do other things? Who says that that's what you, you know, that you have to fit this kind of mould? And, and I think the FT is great for that. And particularly the current environment that I'm in with my current boss and my peers, you know, very much celebrating otherness, very much celebrating doing different things, being unexpected. Pragmatic advice. How do you build the tree of whys and because? Do you write it down? Do you have a journal? What is a habit that you would like to recommend to us? So I do journal, yes. Uh, and I journal more. The more chaotic and busy things get and the more overwhelmed I feel, the more I journal. And it helps to ground me. Um, I meditate a lot, as you might imagine. And that's something that is often at the bottom of the list. If I've got a to-do list, you know, I mean, my to-do list with work is unending, as I say. Nothing's ever done. And I, of course, have a to-do list for home, kids, etc. The more that builds and feels overwhelming, the easier it is to let things like self-care drop off. So I prioritise them at the top. My pragmatic advice about, you know, building awareness, if you have negative thinking patterns, if you have a tendency to catastrophize about what might happen, to think forward all the time or to be thinking back and you want to pattern interrupt. For me to begin with, I had to write that down. So I would write down, you know, what's happened? What's the thing that's happened? That could be a work thing. It could be a comment someone had made. It could be you know, something that happened at home. What's the belief that I'm attaching to that? which might be, you're not good enough, you can't do this, you'll fail. And then what's the consequence of that? The consequence usually being, I don't feel very good, I feel irritable, I feel upset, you know, whatever, I can't concentrate. So it's it's going through those kind of stages just to put that space in and allow you to pattern interrupt by asking the question, is there another way of looking at this? Is it true that I can't do this? Is it true that I'm doing a bad job of this? And so I started writing that down, which is quite time consuming, as you would imagine. And then I started to sort of not write it down, but to run it through in my head. So to ask myself those questions quite clearly. 
And these days it kind of runs fairly organically. I don't stop and think about it. I'm able to run in that way. And, you know, we don't have time to get into neuroscience here, but there is a lot around, you know, the our ability to lay down neural pathways when we repeat activity in the brain, when we repeat this kind of behaviour. And so it comes quite naturally to me now. But sometimes if that, something significant happens that makes me feel significantly challenged, I will go back to writing it down and working it through in that way. How do you keep concentrated while doing this and not distract yourself? Because that's, I think, the hardest thing to do today with our smartphones, with the job that we all have here, especially working in news. How do you keep concentrated? I'm very disciplined and boundaried around... Um, how I allow myself to be contacted so I'm very I don't have any notifications anywhere um I have a separate work phone to home phone so that I can switch it off or leave it somewhere else I my personal phone is is off you know I have focus mode on between nine o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the evening I have sleep mode on from 9 p.m and that's not to say I don't go in and you know and self-serve my notifications but I have no notifications for anything you know I have a smartwatch but it doesn't show me anything uh in terms of notifications if I don't ask it um I'm yeah I, I'm not afraid to put my boundaries out to people to tell them and that includes my social life as well um you know because I think everything shouts very loudly if you let it and all these things are set up you know they're designed to give us these hits of dopamine even if it's a work email or a work message mm. that we might not welcome the brain doesn't recognize that so it still delivers this hit of dopamine that tells us that we're wanted and needed mm. and that can be quite addictive you know same social media whatsapp etc so i am very boundaried around what i allow in mm. i'm not always brilliant at it don't get me wrong sometimes i find myself scrolling on instagram and i think gosh you know i've been doing this for 20 minutes <laughs> but generally speaking i don't access social media monday to friday um you know, I don't access news notifications either, which might be a controversial thing to say yeah. in, in an environment like this. But I just don't think I'd ever get anything done, really. And, you know, context switching. I'm, my role requires me to context switch an awful lot, much more than it did in finance. And that is a tax on the brain. There is a tax on that. It takes, you know, there's there's research around how long it takes you to return to full focus in a task if you allow yourself to be distracted, whether by picking up your phone, having a conversation with someone, you know, whatever. Um or, or just, you know, sometimes if I'm doing a task that I'm perhaps not enjoying that much, I choose to context switch. So I choose to go off and do something I might prefer to do, like send an email to someone or, you know, fill out an invoice for some work I've done or whatever it is. But in so doing, I am giving yeah. myself a tax when I return to the piece of work I need to do. Easy. Thank you so much. This has been great. And uh, as you might know, one part of our podcast that is a bit different from our FT podcast is that we welcome some bright young people to the podcast studio. And uh, we got here Anika and uh, Connie to ask some questions. So Anika, over to you. Hi, my name is Anika and I'm currently going into my final year of maths at the University of Warwick. And thank you so much for having me here today. I'm really excited. And I'm here as Director of Outreach of the Women of Colour Blueprint. So we are a social mobility initiative that aims to dismantle a system where women of colour may face certain barriers to progress within their respective fields. And at the Blueprint, we focus on finance, tech and law in the UK. And we have three main aims. So firstly, to empower and to celebrate women of colour, successful women in their respective sectors. Secondly, to inform to publish DEI and diversity statistics and research. 
uh, most importantly to change. So in the long term, we hope to help guide organisations on how they can create change in their workplace culture. Really excited to be here today as part of the initiative. So thank you so much. Annika, what's your question for Izzy? So Izzy, as a leader, um, at the Women of Colour Blueprint, we love having conversations with women. And as part of these open discussions, a big topic that comes up is progressing within your respective industry, particularly from middle management and up and rising through those ranks. And as a leader yourself, do you find that your hiring practices have changed at all? And what do you think that companies can do more of to perhaps implement more women in those more senior positions? Mm, yeah, great question. So we at the FT, very fortunately, are very well supported in terms of our ability to hire and consider diversity and inclusion initiatives. So it is something that I've learned talking to other people in other industries and other smaller organisations or, or and bigger organisations that are not as well supported. So we're very fortunate here that we have practices around hiring, you know, things like blind CVs, things like, you know, uh, diverse panels, diverse pool of candidates before we go to interview and that sort of thing. But one thing that I think is super important, both during hiring and you know, in the workplace, is role modelling. And that's something that's always been important to me. So as we were talking during the main body of the podcast, I talked about vulnerability-based leadership. And for me, it's very important to be my authentic self and to role model that, you know, the challenges that I have, be that, you know, as a working mother, be that some of the things I've talked about here today in terms of, you know, self-belief. And similarly, you know, we are very keen on role modeling you know good practices within the business and I think that is the thing that is the most powerful I think putting good hiring practices in place is important I think having diversity and inclusion initiatives is important but really I think role modeling behaviors is the most powerful thing that we can do that's great thank you so much Connie, how are you today? I'm good, thank you. So I'm Connie Q and I've just finished studying for my A-levels and I'll be studying for my history undergraduate this September. Um, I'm here as a representative of the Women of Colour Blueprint um, and as an aspiring journalist, I also work for the Corporate Law Journal um, as a junior political editor and my passions are in gender equality and the media industry. So my question for you is that... Um, so. As a uh, female leader in a traditionally sort of male-dominated kind of industry, what barriers have you kind of um, had and how have you ha been able to navigate these? Interesting question because I must say that I don't really feel that I have faced many barriers as a woman and I am so lucky to be in an organisation which perhaps surprisingly to, to people on the outside is not the male dominated environment that you might expect it to be. I mentioned earlier that when I first came to the FT, I thought it would be this very serious organisation. Everyone would be wearing pinstripe suits and, you know, mm -hmm. and, and obviously our, our readership has reflected that. And, you know, we, we are moving, moving the needle there. But actually inside, I have never felt that as a female that holds me back or I've, I've not really noticed it, I must say, which I'm aware it makes me very privileged and very lucky because I know lots of other people have. One thing I would say that I noticed within myself was that I felt that as a female of a certain age, you know, uh, i.e. of childbearing age, uh, you know, sort of 10, 10 plus years ago, I was, I was conscious as to whether that had an impact on whether people wanted to hire me or whether they wanted to promote me. And I've never had 
a sense of that here within the FT, but my own sense was that, oh, perhaps, you know, now might not be a good time to move jobs or now might not time be a good time to, to apply for a promotion. But I'm happy to say that, you know, I have not experienced that at all. And in fact, as I mentioned, I was promoted from maternity leave. And, you know, we've just had someone in our department who's been promoted into quite a senior role and she's due to go off in three months or so on, mm-hmm. on mat leave. So probably that is the most, you know, relevant experience of being a female that I've found but but actually I am really fortunate to say that I've not really experienced barriers in terms of my voice being heard or opportunities that I've had. Great thank you so much. Thank you so much ladies and of course Isabel Campbell thanks for being with us and thanks to all our listeners out there and I can't wait to have you here for the next episode. Bye! This has been The Talent Show, which is produced by the FT Talent Team, Aya Al-Shihabi, and me, Virginia Stani. Our podcast producer, editor, and sound engineer is Arturo Ochoa, and our social media producer is Letizia Clementi. Our music is by Dennis Kishuk. Check out all of the Talent Show episodes at fttalent.ft.com, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and follow FT Talent on socials for updates. Until next time, and keep listening. Keep listening.